Time for Tea with Makita is a podcast about redefining self-care. It's about looking at every aspect of our life from music, career, family, relationships, and everything in between. It's about spilling tea on those conversations that are sometimes hard to have. Well, we're not afraid to have those conversations right here. Join me as we spill tea on every conversation you ever thought about, dreamed about, or whispered about. Hey, y'all, it's definitely time for some tea. Welcome back. It is time for tea with Makita. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your space, and your energy with me today. Today, I am honored to have with me Miss Isis Clay, the mother of unicorns here, to talk about her journey through theater and all the amazing things that she is doing for her community and how she is just transforming the way you think about living your life with purpose on your own terms. So welcome. Thank you so much, Makita. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So you have to tell us, because I know you you majored, you went to, how um, was it Howard University? I did. I started out at Howard and then I finished up at North Carolina Central University. Awesome. So yes. was theater your, always your, your love, your, your passion? Indeed, it was. It was, well, okay. All right. There was that one time that I wanted to be a ballerina unicorn slash um, oceanographer, but that didn't really work out. (laughs) Yeah. When I first actually, when I first went to college, I wanted to uh, and I majored in biology. I I was going to be a veterinarian and um, realized very quickly that that was not going to work. Although you are good at something. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's where your passions lie or that's where you are meant the road that you're meant to travel. And thankfully, <laughs> I realized that pretty early on. First semester at Howard, I realized like uh, this is not going to work. <laughs> this is not this is not the business. Um, I had always been into theater ever since I was little. And so um I'm from a very small town in, in North Carolina called Ahoskie, North Carolina. Big ups to Ahoskie. It is tiny, but it is amazing. And <laughs> there weren't a whole lot of uh, theater opportunities in Ahoskie, but what there was, I took advantage of. And so when I was realizing what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, it, I realized that that's what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to live in the theater um, doing whatever it is that I could possibly do, not just act. I was very interested in other things as well. Um, but I transferred to, uh, I, well, I transferred to a theater major and then I transferred to North Carolina Central um, as a theater major. And yeah, yeah, that's what I was, that was the passion. Yeah. So what was that journey like to, from, from there to, to now? Because right now you, you do your own production and that's amazing. Yeah. I'm actually an educational consultant. Um, and uh, who, okay, let's go back. The question you asked was, what was that journey like? Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I graduated as a theater major and the plan was to go to New York and try my hand at Broadway and acting in the big city. Um, but love got me. 
when I was in Durham, North Carolina. Love got me hard and fast. And um, I ended up getting married and having two babies. And um, we moved to Washington, D.C. And I realized very quickly that a struggling actress was not going to be able to help provide for my family. My, my husband was an educator, but, you know, we kind of needed two incomes on a teacher's salary, you know? So <laughs> uh, a friend of ours told us that there was a job at the Maryland Department of Juvenile Services, which if you're not familiar, that's like kitty lockup. And that's what they called it, kitty lockup. Um, if you ever saw the um, TV series, The Wire, um, during like the first two, two uh, well, I guess it was the first. Anyway, they talked about Sheltonham, Boys Village. And um, that's where I worked. And so I went for the job kicking and screaming. I did not want to be a teacher. Mikita, let me tell you, I did not want to teach. <laughs> I was so mad that I had to go into the classroom. But it was like, okay, it's that or fast food. And fast food is not going to feed the kids either. Mm-hmm. So um, not as much as you know we needed. It wasn't going to pay all the bills. Well, half the bills. And so I got into teaching and found this love of connecting with young people. I had zero teaching experience. Like I had, didn't take a teaching class. The reason why they hired, and they ended up hiring both of us, but the end, reason why they hired me is because they wanted me to be a drama therapist. Again, not a therapy class. Had I taken, I didn't know anything about it. All I knew was, you know, how to be an actress and how, you know, theater, I knew theater. And I fell in love with the process of getting to know these young people. And um, unfortunately, I got to know them during a time where they were experiencing the most traumatic moments of their life. You know, Um, they were institutionalized. It was very much institutionalized. And um, they would stay for a little while or a long while, meaning they'd stay for a couple of days or they'd stay for several, several months waiting for mm-hmm. court dates or placement. And during that time, you know, you, you, you mentor them and you get in their ear and you, you try to um, get them to see a different way of life. And what ended up happening, they would leave, but they'd always come back. It was like this revolving mm-hmm. door. This recidivism rate was ridiculous. You know, you think you would get, get to them and you would. But then they were placed right back in the same uh, social economic situation that they left, faced with the same decisions that they before they left. And so, you know, unfortunately, they would do the same things that they did before and be brought back. And um, but what broke my heart was when they didn't come back and you found out it was because they were no longer alive. And that created in me this anger, but also what I see now in in hindsight, it was the, the seeds of compassion fatigue that was starting to, to be sown. Um, and 
uh, I don't know if, if your viewers are familiar with compassion fatigue, but it's when um, a caregiver is uh, confronted with someone's trauma over and over and over and over again. So it's not your trauma, but it's someone else's trauma um, it, always. And so that was my introduction to education was this kind of trauma-based um, connection with young people. Um, and I realized I couldn't do it. I stayed there for about three and a half, four years, and I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So I ran, kicking and screaming, um, to what I thought was the opposite end of the spectrum, which was a performing arts program inside of this large high school. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be just like fame. It's going to be amazing. And, uh, you know, because at the uh, detention facility, you know, you had to count pencils and sheets of paper. Literally, it was so regimented. And so when I got to the performing arts, I was like, oh, my gosh, you have kids, you know, rehearsing in hallways and you have like this this freedom. And, and they're talking to me about wanting to do Shakespeare. And I'm like, oh, OK, OK, let's do all the things. And um, that same love that I found with the Department of Juvenile Services with the, the students there um, really blossomed at this program. So shout outs to Suitland High School. Shout out to them. Um, and I stayed there for 17 years. And, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I stayed there for 17 years. I was the theater department chair and um, uh, again, just, just fell in love, fell in love with the process. Um, eventually got my, <laughs> my credentials, my teaching credentials. <laughs> And a master's and then went down the rabbit hole of being super educator. Um, remember, I never wanted to be an educator. I was a theater major. I was an actress, you know, but I still had two kids who were steadily growing and steadily needing to eat. And, you know, um, so I found myself doing, doing both, uh, doing professional theater um, in the evenings and then, you know, teaching during the day. Um, but that's those seeds of compassion fatigue were never addressed because I didn't know what it was. You know, I didn't know. And um, when I was at the high school, I was the teacher that the kids would talk to. Um, because it was a special program, I had them for four years. So I saw them as freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors and progressed with them. And I had two classes a day with them. So you really get to see them grow during those formative years. Um, and I thought that the traumas, again, I had left them behind when in actuality, I hadn't. You know, there were still things, there were still very serious issues um, that the students had. And I just soaked it up, soaked it up until, yes, until it became an issue. Um, unfortunately, I lost three students um, and witnessed several, um, not say several, uh, witnessed two different um, 
there's a, a term that they use for it now, but um, it's not, do you, I don't know if you need a trigger warning or whatnot, but um, attempted suicide. And um, like they came to me in my classroom bleeding um, because they had second thoughts about it. And again, soak it up, soak it up, soak it up. Um, and when I lost my last student, um, and this one, this one was to cancer, something inside of me broke. And so there's, there's a lot of talk about teacher burnout, educator burnout, which is very, very real. Um, there's not a whole lot of talk about compassion fatigue or also known as secondary traumatic stress. There's not a whole lot of talk about that. Um, we talk about it in terms of nurses um, and medical, you know, uh, medical professions, um, but we don't talk about it as far as educators. And it ate me alive until I had. So I left teaching in 2018 with the thought of putting it in my rearview mirror. You know what I'm saying? You know what? I didn't want to do this anyway. Put it in the rear view. And um, I started acting professionally, just doing just that, right? Um, I'm a big proponent of therapy. And so I was getting therapy at the time and my therapist and my, my family um, encouraged me to kind of get these things off my chest, the things that I had been feeling, writing. And so I sat down and not knowing what I was writing, I just ended up writing a letter. And that letter was honestly an apology letter to my students because the amount of guilt that I felt for leaving them, you know, it was an apology letter. And, um, Right about the same time, a good friend of mine, her name is uh, Goldie Patrick. She had a theater company here in D.C. And we had lunch one day and she was like, OK, what you going to do? You know, you left teaching. What, what, what's next? What you going to do? I'm like, I have no idea. Um, at the time, my youngest had graduated from high school. And I was like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. She was like, OK, bet. So she's like, okay, bet. I have a situation that, you know, I want you to do. Okay. I got, you know, a, 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 um, a spot where you can do whatever you want. You can write a show. You can do a one woman show. You can do whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want. And I'm like, uh, okay, fine. Cause I hadn't, I didn't know what I was going to do. Right. Um, next thing I know, I realized she told me that the the spot that she had was at the Kennedy Center here in D.C. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, OK, all right. I... <laughs> she was like, so I got you down and um, whatever you want, you know, you can do whatever you want. But your name is registered. So I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? So I took that letter and I transformed it into a solo show. And at that time, the solo show was, I called it a love letter to my students, to all of the students I've ever taught. Right? And it was my journey through education. And it was, you know, funny. And then it was sad a little bit because it dealt with um, the deaths of students. Um, but I performed that at the Kennedy Center that summer and um, the summer of 2018. 
And um, so right after the classroom. And so I, I thought that that was going to be, you know, period behind it, turn the page. That's the end of a chapter. Done. Um, but it was, uh, the piece was submitted to a couple of um, workshops and it got picked up by a theater company in D.C. And they, I went out to, not, I'm sorry, D.C., New York. I went up to New York and workshopped it. And I realized that it needed to be about teacher compassion fatigue. You know, I needed to go a little deeper. And that's what it became. I just want to, I just want to say real quick that you have been waiting to get to New York in the beginning. And even though you took a different path, you still ended up in New York. Like, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I never thought about it like that. Like I literally, at the time, I didn't think about it like, oh my gosh, now I'm finally going to New York. It was more like therapy, to be honest. Less like, oh my gosh, you know, I have this thing. It was more like, okay, now is the time to really focus because it was at a beautiful, uh, they had us staying at, um, us being me and my director, um, staying at this beautiful college campus right on the water. And so there was this space that I never had before to heal and to write, which is kind of what I wanted to, you know, share with your audience about is the uh, power of writing um, as self-care, the power of creativity as self-care. Um, it was during that time that I really dug in to the writing process. Because again, it was already written, but it took... What I performed at the Kennedy Center is not what it is now. You know, it's taken so many different turns. Um, it's, it's still the same story, my journey through education, but um, it was there that I really felt healed, you know, um, I was able to sit by the water and just cry my heart out and write, 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 and pour it on the page without feeling, without editing myself, you know, without feeling like, oh my gosh, somebody's going to read this and judge me, or somebody's going to read this and judge X, Y, Z. No, literally in this space, I just allowed myself to flow into the paper. And that was probably the most freeing experience I've ever had in my life. Um, I tell, I offer workshops now um, on how, on the process of writing and specifically creative writing um, to heal from burnout and to heal from compassion. And I tell them that I found healing in the writing of it. But it's when it's shared, it's not until it's shared that you found empowerment, right? Mm, right? Yeah. And you find that people, people are also going through the same experience and they see your story as proof that there's a way out or proof that they're not alone. That's when you become empowered. And so that's that's been the the journey 
that I've taken. Again, I'm an, uh, I said in the beginning, I'm an educational consultant now. So I married my two lives, my life as an actress and a theater practitioner and my life as an educator. And I go into schools now um, with this solo show and a professional development on um, how to use creativity to combat compassion fatigue. Which is something we don't do enough. And I worked in juvenile before. Um, and it's funny because we have one down here and they didn't call you guards or anything like that. You were counselors. And I was like 24 years old. I'm like, I don't know anything about counseling or youth and kids. Like, they're, I don't know what I'm doing. But like you said, you fall in love with the kids, their stories. You get to know them, you know, and that's a lot taking on someone else's emotions. But when you talk about being able to write that story and write whatever story you have in your heart, truthfully, without worry of judgment, because that is something totally different. I love to write, but like most people, you say when you get to writing, you're like, oh, I'm not going to use that word. Somebody might find this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let me change it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to offend anyone if it does get seen or... But most people gravitate towards the raw and real you and that authentic voice because it's thoughts and feelings that we all have because we're all human. Absolutely. Absolutely. No one wants to pick up something and read, especially if it's a memoir, right? People can see through Mm -hmm. false, false. (laughs) They can see through that. They want to see real people because like you said, we're all humans and we have these experiences and, um, one of the things, mm-hmm. one of the major uh, reasons why I was kept pushing forward is one of my former coworkers. It was maybe, I don't know, a couple of months after I did my, my solo show at the Kennedy Center, right? We were just talking and I was like, how are you doing? Because, you know, I was no longer in the classroom. And so I was like, hey, I miss y'all. How you doing? And he was telling me how he hadn't slept in like two nights. He had like maybe an hour a night. I was like, what's going on with you? He was like, I'm just so worried about this kid. And there was a a situation with a student that was just keeping him up. And that was the first time ever, ever that another educator had told me or that we had a conversation about that. We have conversation about, oh my God, these kids are driving me crazy. These parents, oh my God, these kids are amazing. Or these parents are amazing. Those kind of conversations. But we never have conversations about the emotional toll toll that our students' trauma Mm -hmm. is having on us. Maybe because we don't recognize it. In a lot of cases, we may not recognize it. We may just think that, oh, I'm just stressed and put that umbrella of a term mm-hmm. over it or, Oh, I'm just burnt out. Burnout and compassion fatigue are cousins, but not the same. And so, mm-hmm. you know, getting people to really take that look inside and assess for themselves what they're feeling, because that's the first thing, right? Is knowing what this is. I can't mm-hmm. battle this if I don't know exactly yep. what this is knowing what it is, and then uh, giving them tools to move forward. Because again, I was never given tools to move forward um, or to heal. And we all have to heal. You can't grow. Yeah. 
and and, and never move past it. Mm-hmm. But I think for as you said that 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 seed of getting that compassion fatigue, most people mm-hmm. it's not normal. I think they don't normalize it enough in other professions. And when you are with anyone, and they say you're, you're at your job more than you're at home. So your job, if your job yeah. includes working with children, you're just not working with perfect kids <laughs> that have the perfect life. Mm-hmm. Just like other people bring, adults bring their their mess to work and their feelings and emotions. Yeah. So do the kids and you get to see a lot. Yeah. yeah. And then and then understanding how to process yeah. all that. And then, and then when you think about it, you know, children have less um, tools to deal with. Well, let me let me take that back. Because some adults don't have those tools either. They were never taught those tools on how to deal with their own traumas, their own own um, childhood traumas. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I worked in high school. So, um, you know, the teenage brain is still forming while they mm-hmm. are dealing with all of these traumas and um, and experiencing these traumas. And, and a lot of times people think that trauma is like death or something like that. It's, it can, a child losing a beloved teddy bear, right? Can be traumatic for mm-hmm. them, can be very traumatic for them. And mm-hmm. um, so it's not necessarily how big the event is in our minds. It's how big it is in the person who's mm-hmm. experiencing the trauma. So when you think about that, and then you think about the hundreds and hundreds of young people that teachers encounter every year, the you know it becomes enormous. You know when we think about that, and, and we don't talk about it enough. Um, we don't give them enough tools to cope. And stay in the race. Yeah, because when you're learning, at a, you have to learn. If you you grow up, if you never learned, if the child never learns how to deal with you know stress or how to overcome trauma or deal with their emotions or deal with their feelings, then you just grow up to be an adult yeah. who don't know how to deal with your feelings and deal with your emotions. And what happens is you you see it all the time. You know, you have. People that are still there, that are in their 40s, still trying to deal with the breakup that they had in, in high school. I think people hold on to that pain because they feel like that's their only identity. That's the only thing that they can recognize who they are versus letting go of that, like you said, and holding on to that joy and realizing that you, you are more than just the pain that you have been dealt. Your life is far more valuable than any obstacle that may have been put in your path because you, you dealt with the pain you you've been there, but guess what? You're on the other side of it. Now it could, it could not have all been bad. And if it was, you have the opportunity each and every day to sprinkle a little bit more joy into your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I could talk forever. I ain't gonna lie. I I love to talk, but (laughs) I just want to, Tell people how they can connect with you and um, everything that you're doing. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I'm on the social media webs. Um, you can get me uh, 
on Instagram, which is where I am usually, or Facebook, and it's at Sculpted Clay, straight through, um, at Sculpted Clay. And I'm also on Clubhouse at Sculpted Clay. Um, but my, uh, my, my, uh, sorry, website is www.sculptedclayproductions with an S dot com. Um, if there are any school leaders or teachers who are interested in um, workshops or professional development based around creativity in order to deal with burnout and compassion fatigue, they can always hit me on those um, in those places or my website email isis at sculpticlay.com and um, I love to I love to talk to people about this and be a catalyst for change when we're talking about um, education and and not just education you know uh, anyone who's dealing with these things um, there's space for that I have workshops for that okay so I know some of you are probably trying to grab your pens real quick and write that down, but it's okay. I will have all of ICE's connections and how you can reach her, especially if you're a teacher or anyone within the educational field and you want to know how she could help and, you know, maybe facilitate a workshop. I will have all, I will have all that information for you guys. So don't worry. It'll be there in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for just coming on and just sharing your energy and you know, your knowledge and what you do to help other people, you know, just recognize where they're at and how they can have the proper tools to move past it. All right, you guys, it is time for some key takeaways. And Isis was spilling all types of good tea today. I don't know about you, but something about recognizing compassion fatigue just hit me in a whole different way. I think we all carry that in some form or we all have been exposed to what it feels like to carry the emotions of someone else and make it our own. But I love that the fact that she talked about how we could use our resources. We have resources, being creative, writing down, you know, our feelings, finding, you know, a way to de-stress in that moment and just putting our feelings out there instead of holding them all in. That was very key to me is that a lot of times we don't want to recognize what we're going through. And we think that we can just move on from a situation that has affected us without dealing with it. But it always comes back maybe in a different form, maybe with a different person, maybe in a different situation. But we all have these triggers that kind of trigger us back to that emotion that we have confronted before that we never got a chance to really deal with. So dealing with our emotions in a way that is productive and then teaching our children how to deal with stress and how to recognize, you know, some of the things that could be traumatic to them and how to deal with it, using the tools that we have to deal with our emotions so we cannot be stuck, but we can move forward. We can have those moments of growth because that's what it's all about, growing and learning and being able to be productive in our lives and not let things um, stunt our full potential. So 
One of the things that she shared with me and I want to share with you guys is this book called The 4-Hour Work Week. I think it is so important for all of us to continue to grow and plant seeds of empowerment because one thing that I've learned from listening to Isis is that when we put our feelings whether it's into a creative aspect of making something or building something or maybe writing something down or coloring, whatever it is that we choose to do to release that, we take back the power of the situation. We're no longer powerless when we confront our emotions and put it all out in the open. And there's something powerful about sharing your story raw and real as it truly is, and not being apologetic for it. You know, there's so many times when I go to write something, I change it up, or I'm about to say something, and I'm like, oh, I don't know how I might offend somebody. This might come out right. But it's how I really feel in this moment. And we shouldn't apologize for our feelings. We should recognize that this is how I feel in this moment, but then also We need to think about the actionable steps. How can we move past this feeling in this moment? And how can we deal with our emotions if this happens again? So it's all about recognizing it and doing something about it in a way that's positive, that offers growth and healing. Because through every transformation, there has to be some healing components. And Isis found you know, her love and passion in something that she didn't even realize she was going to love, which is being an educator and, and theater and being able to combine the two. That That is what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to recognize what our purpose is in this world and to live it in a way that is true to us, that brings us joy, that helps us to help other people. I'm a true believer in when you get some knowledge, you share what you've learned so other people can grow and live their life authentically and happy in the moment. You don't have to wait for tomorrow to live. Live for today. And each and every day is a new new day to be amazing. So that is all of the tea that I have for you guys today. But don't forget to join me Tuesday each and every Tuesday for more time for tea with Makita as we spill more hot, delicious tea. And don't forget, leave your likes, share. If you feel like this resonated with you or can really change some someone else and, and help them, share it with them. Share it with the people that you love. This is all about taking self-care to another level and redefining it based on where you're at in your life and where you see yourself going. You have the key. All right, y'all, don't forget, more hot tea coming your way.